Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. We have Kirsten Soriano-Broberg with us, uh, along with Laurie Garvey, our managing director, and maestro Clay Couturio. Yes, great to be here with you all. Yes, thank you, Kirsten, for being here uh, this afternoon. Yeah, Kirsten. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. Well, Kirsten... As you well know, this next season is our 60th anniversary season with the Richardson Symphony, and um, I've asked you to write a work for the orchestra. Uh, before we even get into that, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your background? Sure. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. Yes. It's really exciting. Um, so I have always wanted to be a composer, I think, as long as I can remember. I had music running through my head as early as five years old. And I was trying to figure out how to get it out of my head and onto paper. And so it was kind of an interesting journey to get to this point. But um, I studied dance for a long time and then French horn and piano. And then I started improvising and composing. And then I started writing down my compositions um, when I was in my teens. And now I'm writing um, for all different mediums, um, everything from solo instrument or voice to full orchestra, choir, orchestra and choir, and doing some film scoring and writing for dance and that sort of thing. So it's a lot of fun. And you and I are also colleagues at the University of North Texas College of Music. Where did you go to school? Where did you, some of your musical studies? Um, Northwestern in Chicago is where I completed my doctorate okay. in composition. All right. And uh, you, you mentioned French horn. Did you ever play in an orchestra? I did. Yes, uh-huh. I did. Um, so I played in college in my undergraduate orchestra and I played in band for like a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I know this is such a general question, but if you had to describe your style, do you have a style that you would ever put in words or is that just tell us a little bit about your musical works in general? Sure, sure. Um, I would say my style changes a bit from project to project. I would say that there are certainly things that I find in all of my pieces. I'm always interested in color, gesture, Mm -hmm. harmony, those sorts of things. Um, Drama. I like to create a nice musical journey from the beginning to the end, some sort of journey that I take the audience on that moves towards some sort of dramatic climax or something like that. So shaping. Does it tell like telling a story in a way or... Not necessarily. I think probably, yeah. sure. I, yeah, I love telling stories. I'm, I have a degree in writing as well, so I love creative writing and that wow. sort of thing. So uh, I um, often write music that's a bit pro- programmatic with a story behind it or evocative in nature. So I might be inspired by some sort of image or a poem or some literature or some ph- philosophical concept. There's often something behind it. Uh, but yes, I like to create some uh, some sort of a journey for the audience, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I'd say stylistically, my music ranges from anything from spectral, which is sort of um, where impressionism has led to towards today, you know, focus on the overtone series and sound and color and that sort of thing um, to cinematic music. I'm really interested in cinematic styles. And as I mentioned, I've started doing some film scoring as well. Mm -hmm. So anywhere along that spectrum, you'll find my music. Uh, How about influences in your life, in your musical life? Are are there any particular composers that you've met that has influenced you or composers no longer around that have influenced you? Uh, Any other people that aren't composers that has influenced your music? 
Great question. There are so many. Um, musically, I would say Beethoven is a huge influence on me. I love Beethoven's music, um, Chopin, Debussy, uh, are some composers that most people probably have heard of, and some more recent composers I'm really interested in, Toro Takamitsu, Kaya Sariaho, mm-hmm. John Luther Adams, a lot of different composers. Um, so um, I did have a chance to go study in France with some of my favorite living composers. So Kaya Sariaho in Paris was one of them, and Philippe Bureau and um, Tristan Murat in the south of France. So that was a lot of fun. That's great. Well, you you started with Beethoven, as a lot of people do, but as the first name you mentioned. So what is it about Beethoven? What influence? Obviously, he influenced so many composers. So what is it that is so special about him to you? Ah, I would say the raw emotion that you find in a lot of his music. I, I really like connecting to music emotionally and also that idea of, of creating a journey and expression, mm-hmm. um, drama, all of those different Definitely things that Beethoven does yeah. so well. And I really, I react to that on a, you know, really personal level. Any particular compositions by him that you would say touched you, you know, more than others? Gosh, I'd have to say. I know that's know, a hard question. I get asked the same question and it's hard to, to narrow down to a couple of works of Beethoven. I don't think I could narrow it down to a couple, but of course the symphonies and then the piano sonatas for sure. I mean, you'll find me um, secretly at home playing Beethoven piano sonatas most of the summer in my studio. And you had mentioned uh, some of your style beyond Impressionism, and so you mentioned Debussy. So what about Debussy um, influenced you? Oh, so many different things. So um, the evocative nature of his music is one of those things. Um, his attention to the overtone series and spacing and resonance is something that really attracts me to his music. Um, the idea of gesture and contour being really important and central to some of the content of the music as well. Um, and the harmonies, just absolutely the harmonies and the color and this idea of sound for sound's sake. You can just sort of immerse yourself in the sonorities of his music and just enjoy them. I love that about his music. You know, uh, it's interesting. We as musicians can study the harmonies and and there's a technical aspect to those things, but even a non-musician, not knowing the names of the harmonies, but they can tell that that sounds different. What he did sounds so different than what came before. Absolutely. And so just when you say harmony, I just want people to understand you don't have to know exactly everything about music to know that that sounds different from something else. Right. For sure. Definitely. So Kirsten, um, you mentioned that you also have a degree in writing. I'm just curious, who are some of your favorite writers who, who also potentially influence your music? Oh goodness. There are so many. Um, (laughs) One of my favorite authors is Kate Chopin. And I'm really interested in poetry. So I sort of um, specialize in, in writing poetry and the poetry of Pablo Neruda is mm-hmm. probably some of my favorite work. Um, I do speak Spanish, and so I love reading his poems in Spanish. And I've set seven of them in a song cycle of mine. Uh, who else? So many. I, I just set a number of poems by Emily Dickinson mm-hmm. for uh, female voices and chamber ensemble. I love her work. Sure. Oh, there's so many. many. It's hard to even narrow it down. Oh, I know. It's tough. But tons of of poets and authors, for sure. 
I have a, I have a question. You mentioned a couple of times that you want to take your listeners on a journey for sort of a non-technical practitioner, you know, sort of guy on the street. What, what does that, what does that mean? What does that look like to you? Sure. So starting in one place musically in terms of mood or register or speed or density and moving to something else. So for instance, I could start a piece really low and slow and gradually speed up the tempo, make it faster and faster and start adding voices that are higher and higher up and increase the density. So that increases sort of the tension um, increase the speed at the same time, maybe increase the dynamics or the volume. So start maybe soft and move toward like a forte, like a really loud moment. So that's the journey that you'd move from something very serene to something very intense and maybe bold. Um, but do that in a way that, that seems really seamless and, and almost it just, it feels right, you know, so to, to move from one thing to the next and have it be a, a big change or a transformation. And then a sense of coming home at the end, right? I mean, I know. Often. Yeah. Or sometimes you start from A and you end up at B and you wonder how in the world did I get there? But it just, it just worked. It's kind of like life sometimes. Exactly. Right? <laughs> One of my favorite composition teachers, J. Allen Yim at Northwestern, uh, when he was teaching composition, he would often say, you can't step in the same river twice. So <laughs> that's something that is, I've that's sort really of carried like with that. me. Yeah. 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 Um, also, I wanted to ask, are there any particular visual artists who inspire your writing, your, you know, your, mus- your musical compositions? Oh, I love many different um, visual artists mm-hmm. as well. Um, Helen Frankenthaler is one of my favorite visual artists. Um, I love Mark Rothko. Jackson Pollock, I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Monet, lots of different artists of different um, periods. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very interested in. I love visual art as well. Before we talk about the work that you're going to compose for the RSO, tell me a little bit about some of your other works for orchestra. Sure. So um, one of my works is called Constellations Through Celestial Dawning. And that is part of my Natura cycle. I've been really interested in the past 10 years or so in composing what I call cycles of extractable works, where there are several pieces that are part of a larger cycle, but you can extract them. Mm-hmm. Each of them play them or perform them on a specific event. So that one is um, two movements from my Natura cycle, and it completes the cycle. And it evokes in the first part um, constellations in the sky. So it starts with really glistening colors and timbres and envelope shapes like glockenspiel, harp, piano, crotales, that sort of thing. Then it moves into nebula with like piccolos and strings swirling in the sky. And then the next movement, Celestial Dawning, is telling the story of like the beginning of a solar system and life forming on a planet. Mm-hmm. So it has sort of this um, very intense section where uh, there are these big chords that swell and then there's a big downbeat and that's evoking like matter flying into each other and outer space. But the piece eventually coalesces into life forming on a planet with a section called sprouting and there's water, like a section called the river flowing and at the end, there's like a forest and birds singing, and it ends with like sunlight on the horizon, at least in my mind. That's what I'm 
imagining. So that's, mm-hmm. um, I would say, sort of a post-impressionist sort of style of piece. Uh, the university, the concert, uh, the university's concert orchestra with Clay conducting uh, performed my Mother of War mm-hmm. piece. And that was a completely different style. I would say much more cinematic. Yes, absolutely. So, I wrote that piece coming out of a film scoring workshop and the composer who was teaching the workshop said, start with an ostinato and then start adding these other features. So I thought I would try that. And I had a friend at the time who was writing a, a, um, a movie, a screenplay about Anita Garibaldi and sort of her, her life. And so I thought, well, why don't I just pretend like I'm writing the film school for that film and so i wrote a piece based on her life and so there's definitely like the battle music because she was a woman up on a horse fighting a battle and there were definitely really sad moments because her life was full of tragedy as well and uh, different things like that a pastoral section and that sort of thing so i would say that those are two of my more recent pieces and they're very different from one another but again like very evocative or programmatic the nature and there's definitely a sense of journey i think with each of them sometimes when i'm i hear certain film scores or or they don't have to be film scores but i just uh, it just seems to me more in film scores i start to hear other composers in these film composers like even john williams i'll, I'll hear some prokofiev or stravinsky or certain things and mm-hmm. uh not that he's copying or maybe he is who knows you know that's mm-hmm. but do you ever start writing and since and start to think well, wait a minute. That almost sounds like this, like this other composer. Has that ever happened to you? Sure. Or I'll even be um, incredibly inspired by a certain composer and write something almost an homage to them. So mm-hmm. I I wrote a chamber orchestra piece recently, and the person who had inter- introduced me to the conductor um, had met John Williams and really loved John Williams' music. So in fact, I have a piece that is sort of inspired by John Williams' music that's for a chamber orchestra. It was premiered a couple of years ago. Um, so that happens, you know, certainly. Um, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other orchestras besides at, at North Texas, orchestras that have performed some of your works? Sure. So I love working with student orchestras. So a student orchestra at St. Olaf College, where I was teaching, has performed my music. I had the great fortune of working with uh, the Minnesota Orchestra for the Minnesota Orchestra Composer Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, the Minnesota University of Minnesota Orchestra. I performed a piece when I was a student there. I won the first place in the orchestral competition. Uh, the Millennium Chamber players have played my music, and then members from prominent orchestras have as well. So uh, members from the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra played a piece of mine on their concert series. The Music Now Ensemble from Chicago Symphony Orchestras perform my music on their contemporary music series as well. So I, I love working with orchestras, from student orchestras to professional orchestras. It's my favorite instrument, the full orchestra. <laughs> There's a lot you can do with it, for sure. Of course. Uh, well, yes, that's, you get to compose with all the colors. That's right. I'm sure this is a question you get asked a lot, but what is your process as far as composing is concerned? Do you have a process? Is there an order of things you do, or does it change every time you compose a piece? You know, every piece has its own life, and it evolves in its own way, but things have started to crystallize for me in terms of a process. I usually start with some sort of a concept or an idea that I'm really inspired by or excited about. I will often graph out 
um, some sort of images or textures, that sort of thing. And what I call an XY graph where you have register on the Y axis and, and duration on the X axis and you can draw different contours and shapes and gestures and density and all that sort of thing um, on a graph. But lately I've been ending up at the piano for every single piece I write because I find that's where I'm most natural and uh, my music feels like well heard. Like I really heard the music in my head and I, I tried it on the piano and I tried it different ways until it really formed into the piece I wanted it to be. Do you start with just the piano, write a piano part and then orchestrate it? Or do you, you have the sounds of the instruments in your head and write on the full score at, at the beginning? So it's like I'm hearing the orchestra while my fingers are playing the piano. And so I'm basically orchestrating in my head, but just getting the notes and the rhythms and the harmonies really solidified at the piano. Mm -hmm. But I'm hearing, if I'm thinking of strings and I'm playing a part that's supposed to be four strings, I'm hearing strings in my head, even though the piano's playing. And then some composers I know, they'll, they'll write out, let's say they have the orchestra score in, in front of them and it's empty. And the flutes are at the top, then the oboes and all the woodwinds and the brass, just the score order and the percussion and the strings. They might write uh, horizontally an eight-bar phrase on the flute and then the second flute and then the oboe. And they go that way, horizontally. And then there are, of course, famous stories of Richard Strauss and I think Mozart who would write vertically. Just they already had it all in their head and they would write one bar of the flute and then one bar of the oboe all the way down and then the next bar because they already had it all in their head and they just write that way or which way does your graph go <laughs> my graph goes definitely from left to right uh, uh -huh. but i would say i probably compose one section at a time like okay. maybe i'll compose with the strings and then i'll add in the percussion and the winds afterwards but um i would say probably more vertically like measure at a time versus vertically as long as i don't lose the sense of the line or the, the shape of the line or the momentum of the line sure. as I'm doing that. Sure. Do, you, do you start with, I'm just curious, do you start with like, like a sense of chord progressions in your head or rhythm or how does that fit into? Oh, I always hear it in my head before I go to the piano. Sure. I spend a lot of time just sitting in silence and then it just sort of goes to my fingers and then it goes into notation software or sometimes it goes on paper then into notation software. One thing I don't do ever anymore is start with notation software in front of me. Right. I find that very limiting and unnatural. So that's something I do not do. Well, let's talk a little bit about the commission for the Richardson Symphony. And, and I'm being serious about this. Kirsten and I have barely even talked much about it yet. And we want this podcast and maybe further podcasts to be a part of this process so people can uh, know, you know, what's going on up until the time of the performance. We, we have talked about this being kind of a journey as we head into the season opener and kind of documenting that as part of the, the podcast. So we're right. very excited. Right. About yes. it. So part of the commission, and I want our audience to know, um, uh, Kirsten and I have talked about the instrumentation and uh, the, the rest of the program is uh, the Brahms Third Symphony and the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto. And the instruments we use for those pieces does in a way influence the instrumentation that Kirsten's going to use for, for this new work. And I don't even believe we have a name yet. Is, is that right, Kirsten, for the work? Or 
No, there's not a name yet. Yeah, no, not so yet. That, that's part of that's part of the process too. But you have a sense of the uh, instrumentation. Um, are you going to compose a little bit? And I'm asking in all seriousness, and then show a little bit to me, and then we talk. Or do you want the whole thing done, and then say here it is, and then go for it from there? Or what's your thoughts on that? I'm completely flexible. So if you have a preference, let me know. Um, but I, I have some ideas for the piece already. I know that we talked about it having a celebratory nature to it. Yes. So it's definitely going to end with a celebratory nature. And I was thinking about creating some sort of a, an experience that goes a bit from darkness to light over the course of the piece. So, yes. so definitely ending with the, something light and bright and joyous and celebratory. I like that idea because yeah. any any organization or any person right. that's lived 60 years, there are those moments, you know, high moments, low moments and that's all right. that. And so right. that that can be part of that journey, too. I what, think. what will you use as as a source of your inspiration for for this piece? Oh, goodness. I, I'm not um, trying well, to put one, you on the, on the spot. <laughs> I'm just curious. Well, one thing I was thinking about with this journey of darkness to light is just sort of coming out of this pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. like there was so much isolation and time for self-reflection and that sort of thing. For me, it's been a, a quiet time. Um, and then moving in, you know, in, in, in like a very isolated, solitary existence, you know, in quarantine and then moving back into some more of a communal experience of, you know, being together with people again and that sort of thing. I just saw my family for the first time in a year and a half and it was really wonderful, you know, so that was something I was thinking of, you know, my music, there's always some connection to my life and I can't quite divorce myself from my, my experience, you know? So that's something I was thinking about with this idea of moving from darkness to light is that we're all kind of coming out of isolation and moving back into a more of a communal feeling. Well, I tell you this, um, this will be the first work, the first work of the season, of course, the next season. And we're hoping if all goes well with vaccinations and everything else going on right now, that we can put the orchestra closer to or back the way it was set up on the stage before so that we have the full orchestra. As right. This past season, we've been doing works primarily for chamber orchestra so as because we were socially distanced. So this next season will begin, you know, that's in itself a celebratory sure. uh, time. So it, it I, I treat this work as, Celebrating many things, not j- only our 60th anniversary, but just being together again in fullness in the hall mm-hmm. and with the uh, full audience and with everything full else. Audience, yes. What a great inspiration, Kirsten. So, Kirsten, what about working with an orchestra? So, you, let's say, you know, we'll talk about the process in, uh, of composing this piece. And then when we're in front of the orchestra, tell the audience what that's like as a composer, from a composer's point of view, working with an orchestra and a conductor. Oh, that's a great question. You know, it changes from every orchestra and it changes from every conductor to every conductor. Um, it's thrilling, I have to say. It's terrifying and it's thrilling. So you always worry if they're a mistake in the parts or something. And someone's going to play a wrong note and we have to figure out where that is. Um, uh, just because, you know, we're all human and that can happen. But that's the terrifying part. But for the most part, it's really, really thrilling. So you go from you know, having a piece in your head or, you know, trying to play it on the piano and not quite being able to create the exact effect or hearing it on your computer in MIDI 
which is feels like a very two-dimensional experience to being in a room where you're full you're where it's full of the sound and the sound is all around you and it's just it's absolutely exhilarating so um that's got to be one of the reasons i absolutely love working with orchestra like i said you have all the colors and then there's that just dimensionality of sound and being in a room with it reverb all the sounds reverberating off of the space and being engulfed in it. It's just mm-hmm. really wonderful. And then once you hear it live in the hall or wherever the orchestra is rehearsing, I would imagine there are some things that sound different than what you had thought it was going to sound like. And then you have suggestions or, or maybe surprisingly you thought that's not what I thought, but this is even better. Or I need to change this, you know, to this, this will be more of, of what I've imagined. Um, do you go up to the conductor and, and talk right then at the, at the rehearsal? Do you do that at a break or do you just go directly to the musicians right then and say, Hey, do this or what, what, what is the process? I would usually talk to the conductor when the conductor asks me for feedback, mm-hmm. I would probably wait until that moment and, mm-hmm. and then let the conductor address anything that we wanted to try differently or, or change. And do you go in different parts of the hall as you're listening to your work during the, you know, cause I'm up, I'm up on the podium conducting and working and I hear it from there, but I would imagine you walk around in different parts of the hall to listen. And then of course, even on stage to be amongst the musicians or. Sure. That definitely is something that can be very useful. Um, and they often will also just ask somebody who knows the hall, well, where's the best place to sit to really get a sense of the balance and that sort of thing. And, and try to, to hear it from that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I had mentioned the rest of the program to you and to the audience. Does that have any influence? And it may not. Does that have an influence on, on this work at all? Um, to some extent, you know, I, when I was asked what composers I'm really interested in, I, I forgot to add in Brahms. So I adore Brahms symphonies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's certainly somebody who's influenced me. So that. You know, that that's something that did pop into my mind. So, Kirsten, um, was the piano the first instrument you learned to play? It was not. It was an instrument I always wanted to learn how to play, but we didn't we didn't have a piano at my home. And so when I would stay at a friend's house that had if they had a piano in their home, everybody would be downstairs watching movies and playing popcorn and or eating popcorn. And I would be playing my friend's piano lessons. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and so um no, I, so I really wanted to play the piano, uh, but but we didn't have one. So I started in band in fifth grade. We had a chance to choose an instrument, and right. I chose the French horn. And I learned how to play the French horn, and I was practicing all the time. And then my parents said, "Wait, when you said you wanted to play the piano, you really were serious about this <laughs> because we hear you practicing all the time." And so they were very kind and generous, and they they bought a piano. So oh, that's wonderful. So I, I enjoy playing both instruments, but I would say piano is more of my passion. Mm-hmm. What are some differences in composing for a full orchestra versus a chamber work or a solo instrument work? There are so many differences. So I I think it's almost easier to write for for a full orchestra than a solo or a chamber ensemble, Mm -hmm. probably because I hear so many different um, layers in my head and that sort of thing when I'm thinking about music that it feels more natural to have more resources at my... um, more resources available to to compose for. And so if I write a solo piece, I'm really thinking, how can I really 
take advantage of and capitalize on that instrument to get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. And for me, that comes from really understanding how to write for that instrument idiomatically. So if I'm writing a piece for a solo string instrument, I'm thinking, how can I use those open strings to create a lot of double stops or, or two notes that are played at once or three notes played at once mm-hmm. or four notes played at once? And it's comfortable and the musician can do it because I love that sense of harmony. So I will be thinking of how can I strategize to get as much as I can out of that instrument. Same thing with chamber music. I might be hearing 12 lines in my head, but I have six people to write for. And so if I have string instruments, I'm I'm writing double stops and triple stops and quadruple stops and that sort of thing. Or maybe a multiphonic here or there and the wind instruments to try to get a little bit more dimension and, and sonorities into the mix with fewer players. You had also mentioned that you had works performed by college groups versus professional groups, all type, which I think is great. Are, are there any differences working for university organization versus a professional organization? Absolutely. So um, students tend to have a little more time to spend in rehearsal on on pieces, and professional groups tend to have less time. And so I, I often write towards sort of the same level, like for a good college group or a good mm-hmm. college player or a professional, knowing that the professional will not have as much time to put into it and the college student or the college ensemble will have more time to put into it. So that's kind of the sweet spot that I try to aim for mm-hmm. um, because um, I, I just think that works pretty well for me in terms of of level of writing. But th- those are the differences, you know, so if I – write a piece for a college orchestra, they'll probably have several rehearsals they can spend on it, but a professional orchestra might have two. So that's the difference. You know, um, now professional or, or college on a new commissioned work, that's the first time either of them have played it. But what I've noticed on, we mentioned Beethoven or any, or Brahms, often in a college orchestra, that's the first time they've ever played even that piece, a piece by Brahms or Beethoven could be. Whereas in the professional orchestra, most of them have played, if not all of them have played, you know, the standard repertoire like that. And so the reason I mention that is the college, or, the students um, are much more influential in, the, in that they, they, they've never played it. Some of them never heard that piece before. So when you suggest as a conductor to do an interpretation certain, you know, let's do it this way. They're gung ho. They just, they, as far as they know, that's the only way they, that it right. goes. And a, a professional orchestra, you have to convince sometimes right. it might be the, the mentality of, well, we've always done it this way. So mm-hmm. why are we, you have to convince me to do it this way, right. which is, there are different ways to persuade and to, to right. influence and say <laughs> mm-hmm. why this is going to happen this way. But it's 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 interesting when you get to and Kirsten does this too. She works both in the professional world and at the uh, at the uh, university student, student for the students yeah. teaching, and uh, I just find that very interesting. I don't know if if you ever have that sense as well, Kirsten, in in your field. I mean, with composition students versus working with other professional composers or or professional orchestras versus student orchestras. So that um, you'd have to sort of convince the professionals more yeah, of trying it a certain way. Yes. Yeah, maybe maybe to some extent. And then I would say that some musicians, regardless of, of where they are in life, are a little bit more open to just trying 
new things or being a little bit more exploratory or experimental. Yes. So it just kind of depends on the situation, but, but certainly, um, certainly somebody with an exploratory attitude, but with also a lot of knowledge, it can be really valuable to work with because not only do they have like that sort of experience and the skill set to really try something new, but if they have that attitude of let's, let's go ahead and try something I haven't done before and see how it works. I can really come up with some fascinating new ideas. So this is just such an exciting opportunity not only for the RSO as we celebrate our 60th anniversary season, but it's also going to be really exciting for the musicians because I have to imagine even professional musicians don't often have the opportunity to perform a newly commissioned piece by, uh, you know, a living composer. So this is really going to be exciting for them as well. This is so a big deal. We're really, really excited to be working with you this this summer as we prepare for our opening night concert in October. So thank you so much, Kirsten. Well, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm really looking forward to collaborating on this project with you. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to all three of you today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, Humanities of Texas, the Ray Charitable Trust, and Frost Bank. I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center Ticket Office and on their website at EismanCenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Cattorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.